It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And today is Sunday, April 24th, 2022, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is again here with us to run the, make sure the show runs smoothly as usual. And we continue to hold the Ukrainian people in our hearts. And throughout the days, today and throughout the days, and we continue to pray for their safety. And today, after the break, we'll be joined once again by Vietnam War veteran, Zen Buddhist monk, founder of the Zalso Foundation, and author, Claude Anshin Thomas. And he's back this time to give us some of his guidance to finding inner peace in this time of war and stress and the re-traumatizing of so many people that so many people are experiencing so that we can bring more peace into this world. And then later in the show, Ruben and Minerva in Bay of Bandadas, Mexico, will be back with another Mexico travel destination. And along the way, I'm going to talk about ways to detect late-life depression and anxiety, especially during this stressful time in the world. And later shows, um, I'll be talking about preventing a downward spiral in older adults, and really for all of us. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links that we discuss on the program. And... You could just, that'll be there later tonight at drmaricarpel.com. And you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden ears. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts after the show. And to find out about previous programs, listen to all the previous programs, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, or you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash years, and they're also all posted on Apple Podcasts. And for future shows, check out my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Years, to find out what's coming up. This program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtually, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with other people. So be more active, be more social, start filling your days with enjoyable activities. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. So we're going to take a brief break and play some more of our sponsors' commercials. It's going to be very brief, so don't go anywhere because we're going to be back very soon with Zen Buddhist monk Claude Thomas to talk about finding peace in a time of war. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. 
And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And now joining us once again on the phone, we have Vietnam War veteran, Zen Buddhist monk, founder of the Zalto Foundation, author um, of a few books that we've spoken on uh, about on this program before, Claude Anshin Thomas. Welcome back, Claude. Um, thank you, Dr. Carpell. Nice to be back. Yes. Um, it's great to have you back. Um, maybe before we jump into it, maybe you can just um, tell our listeners again a little bit about your background since not everybody's heard you here before. I, I would be glad to. Um, <clears throat> just shortly. So it was I was uh, born and raised in a small rural farming community in northwest Pennsylvania, a small town named Waterford, Pennsylvania. Um, my father was a World War II veteran, and my grandfather, his father, was a World War I war veteran. And then my great-grandfather was um, a veteran of the war with Spain. Um, my father was a... Uh, when he returned from the Second War, he used his GI Bill to get um, um, a college education, and um, he worked most of his life as a school teacher. Um, my mother, um, I was born, my, my mother was 17 when I was born. She turned 18, 18 days after I was born. Um, the relationship between my mother and father was quite edgy, um, at mm-hmm. least, I mean, d- during the times that, that I remember. So it would be later on in their relation. Um, I experienced a lot of um, emotional and physical violence in the family. And uh, from both, the primary perpetrator was my mother, but um, my father's not immune from that. Um, I enlisted in the military at the age of 17. I, I enlisted in the military um, actually while I was still in high school. And they had, a, they had what they, what's called a delayed enlistment program. I think they still have that. I can enlist mm-hmm. while I'm still in the military. I finish school. And then um, at a certain point, I leave for induction. Um, I um, went through my basic training, my advanced training, um, and then I was sent um, overseas, I was sent to Germany for some um, more advanced training, and there, um, following in the footsteps of my father, I developed a pretty serious problem with um, alcohol. My father died at the age of 53, uh, just shortly after his 53rd birthday. Um, he died of a massive heart attack in his sleep. I attributed that to his lifestyle. Um, he smoked upwards of three packs of cigarettes a day, drank alcoholically, and had a terrible diet. So what mm-hmm. I was being taught was that um, um, I wasn't being taught the truth of war, violence, and suffering. I wasn't living in an environment where people were openly working with how they had been affected or even willing to explore that. I don't know if it was even encouraged. Um, to address my, uh, the circumstances that I found myself in in, uh, in Germany, um, my solution was to volunteer to go to Vietnam because I had the impression that if I um, volunteered to go and I served honorably, um, and I could win some medals and I'd come home and I'd be welcomed and um, everyone would love me and jobs would be offered to me and I'd be taken care of. Um, I, the truth is I did serve honorably. I was highly decorated. And, and uh, I spent a significant amount of time in the hospital as a result of injuries I received in the war. And when I came home, it was anything but a welcoming home. Um, mm-hmm. what, I have, what I have discovered is that um, the truth of war um, never uh, – the truth of war, how I was affected uh, emotionally, psychologically – Spiritually, how I was affected, regardless of how I structure the idea of my service in my head, uh, 
never goes away. Um, and mm-hmm. it has an impact not only on me, um, but it, it has an impact on all those that I interact with. So I, I look at my life in three phases. The war before the war, which is my home life and that circumstance. Um, the war, that's the actual time I served in Vietnam. I served as a um, helicopter crew chief and door gunner. Um, and then mm-hmm. it, was the war after the, it was the war after the war. Um, I uh, ended up um, addressing or avoiding to address the reality of how I was affected um, in the same way that my father did, except for I, I was unemployed, but I couldn't hold a job. Um, I ended up living homeless on the streets for a couple of years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I did manage, though, to get a, an undergraduate degree in English education. Um, I started a series of geographics. I left the country. I was. I always. I just sort of thought that that it was the place that I was in, the people that I was dealing with, that were my problems. And if I went someplace else, it would be better. But in fact, everywhere I went, there's an old saying, and I, I know you're familiar with it. And everywhere I go, there I find myself. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Things didn't get better for me. Um, mm-hmm. My life continued to spiral out of control. Um, and, and that continued until, um, oh, let's see, it continued until the 28th of May, 1983, when I entered the Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Center. I stopped using alcohol and other drugs, both illegal and prescribed, um, and I've stayed stopped since that point. Um, mm-hmm. What facilitated my going into treatment was what I hope is my last overdose. Um, mm-hmm. Today, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the exact numbers are today, uh, depending on re- depending on sources. But the, somewhere around 17 to 22 veterans kill themselves every day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was one of those people who just and, and it wasn't that I really wanted to die. Just I didn't know how to live in my skin. I didn't know. The world just getting sense to me. Um, I I couldn't find any place that I fit, and so I thought my my thinking was well then, it's just time to go. I mean anything's got to be better than the the place that I found myself in. I was on I couldn't right. hold a job. I I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't hold. I couldn't sustain relationships. Um, I had uh, financial difficulties. I just nothing worked for me in the in the traditional kind of way, and I just I just I was at a loss. I didn't know how to function, and uh, I survived the overdose. I went into treatment, and post treatment, I began to associate with a, a group of people who were committed, like me, to not use alcohol and drugs, and uh, and there I discovered the the spiritual reality of life. And, and and I want to say here that in the spirit of a ninth-century Buddhist monk, Fayan Wen Yi, um, that if a thing is not practical, it's not spiritual. And and so it's 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 not about when I talk about spirituality, it's not something bigger than, it's not something greater than, it's not something unusual, it's not something um, it's not something above or out of the ordinary. It's the spiritual reality of life for me is just the ordinary. Um, but really appreciating learning how to live and appreciate the ordinary. Um, and after a period of time of not drinking alcohol or using drugs and, and, and working on the psychological aspects of, of my childhood and, and um, how that was affecting my life present day, I was left only with the war. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know how to, to – I just really – Sort of didn't know how to do, do that. Um, I had a, I was in therapy with a social worker, um, and that social worker directed me to a meditation retreat. Um, this was in 1990, and uh, uh-huh. it was a meditation retreat being facilitated for um, veterans, combat veterans. And the social worker thought it would be that the, the monk who was facilitating this had done one before, and and and, and what he was offering seemed to have some 
positive impact on veterans' lives. And, and so the social worker recommended that I go, um, and uh, I begrudgingly went. I won't say that I just went with smiles. I begrudgingly went. I was very skeptical. Um, but something happened to me in that process where I began to really take the first steps to talk about my experience. And I, I was afraid to talk about it. I was afraid to tell the truth. Um, and I, and uh, from that point, I was invited to their monastery. I went to go, I went for a visit and I was going to stay for like a month and ended up staying for three years. And the rest is history. It's not the tradition I'm ordained in. Um, I'm ordained by an American um, Zen Buddhist monk. He, he's now He's now dead. He died um, some years back. But he had a mm-hmm. center in Yonkers, New York. And at the time, I was living in Concord, Massachusetts. And and um, so the first month, um, uh, let's see, the, the social worker and the psychiatrist that I was working with helped me to save my life. The first monk I met gave me uh, the tools and the voice to learn how to live at peace with my unpeacefulness. And the mm-hmm. second, the person I'm ordained by gave me the container through which I could work with this actively in the world. Um, and and if I have to, in fact, I'm leaving in, next, in the middle of next week, I'm going down South Florida to meet with a group of veterans there and, and to communicate to them that the, the, the consequences of our service and there are consequences, whether we acknowledge them or not, never go away. Um, that doesn't mean that I can't learn to live at peace with my unpeacefulness. So, it's, so I, I have to be – go ahead. No, go on. I'm going I'm to jump in because sure. you're bringing up a few points that I want to bring to the what's going on right now in the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because last time you were on, we talked about – you know, these issues, and I wanted to have you on in the spring to talk about, you know, more of this and coping with unpeacefulness within and without. I never expected that we'd find ourselves right now dealing with this war in Ukraine and this existential threat that I think we're all feeling because of it. Um, You know, I spoke with a group of Holocaust and Soviet survivors, older adults, uh, last month who were, you know, are being re-traumatized by this. Um, and in, you know, my evaluations with veterans, a lot of them have brought it up that it's, it's, it's triggering them. So I'm wondering, like, what you are seeing with veterans um, now that there's this pretty big war that looks like it could go on for a long time and have a lot of threat for all of us involved with that. And then, of course, like how can we be peaceful in this uh, this lack of peace? <laughs> um, th- there are a number of points within what, in the questions that you've asked. Uh-huh. Um, the first thing I, I would like to address is the topic of peace. Um, peace is not an idea. It's it's rather a, um, it's an organic, fluid state of existence. Um, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace, as an aspect of peace, is being able to engage in conflict without that conflict um, dissolving into war, violence, and suffering. Um, what's happening in the Ukraine is a horrible, terrible thing. Um, and the foundation, um, the Zolko Foundation, is actively engaged in that process. So there's a European version, there's a European branch of the Zolko Foundation, and um, they are providing assistance to refugees, and they're providing mm-hmm. transportation from the border to countries that will host them. Uh, members mm-hmm. of the Zolko Foundation in Europe are actually hosting refugees um, and organizing medical care for them, organizing uh, just getting to meet them and see what it is that they need. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so so we're, we are doing what we can. 
and under the circumstance. But I also I also don't want to lose sight of the fact that well, what is what's happening in Ukraine is is a terrible, horrible thing. Let's not forget about um, Bosnia. Let's not forget about um, Croatia. Let's not forget about Serbia and the war that went on there for years. Let's not right. let's forget the, let's not forget the fact that um, just recently um, it, uh, a, a statistic has been released that the number of deaths between the ages of 16 and 20. The, lar- the leading factor of death between the ages of 16 and 20 now is guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a. If you look, it's like every day, every day something shows up in the news where three people are killed, 15 are wounded, 10 people are killed, six are wounded. There's there's a, a ma- there's a mass shooting almost every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this this idea that this idea that I can solve my problems through violence is um, is, a, is a delusion. Violence only gets more violence. Now, that being said, um, peace is not our idea of it. So people seem to think that peace is the absence of violence and, and, or, the, or the, their conflict avoidance. And, and people have to learn how to be in conflict. We have to learn. That's not being modeled for us. At, at even the highest levels of our government, that's not being modeled for us. So we have to be the peace that we want to see in the world. We need to be able to take the actions. With, we need to wake up to the roots of war violence in us. We need to see, and, and if we think we don't have the roots of war violence in us, we are equally deluded. Mm-hmm. I, I think somebody asked me this question. I said, like, I have to wake up. I have to wake up to the Vladimir Putin in me. And right. I, I, carry, I carry a body count. I live with that. And as a helicopter door gunner, um, I had vision on who was, who was at the end of the bullets that were coming out of my machine gun. I, I, have, I have been responsible for destroying villages. And mm-hmm. It's like... I live with that on a daily basis. And and really, when I went, when I, I volunteered to go to war, and I believed, I believed that, that when my country called me, that it was my responsibility to answer that call, to offer myself up on the sacrifice of national service. And, and, uh, and when I got off the plane in Vietnam, I, I, I knew, I knew really quickly that what I was doing there had very little to do with anything that I had ever been taught or told about service and war. It had simply to do with staying alive and keeping my friends alive. And, and now um, I, I'm engaged in the same sort of service. How, how can I, 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 I pass on with all sincerity, I pass on not only to not only to war veterans, but to those who are affected by the transgenerational effects of war, violence, mm-hmm. and suffering. You mentioned it, Holocaust mm-hmm. survivors. Um, right. You mentioned uh, uh, there's, there's um, I've read in European newspapers where people, um, elder people who have survived, who, who, are, who have survived the second war in Europe or the generation just past them who perhaps grew up amongst the rubble. And it, it's not that they're being re-traumatized, but, but this, these events are waking, awakening the trauma that they continue to live with. The, the trauma is not something I think that my experience with post-traumatic stress um, is that it's not a disorder. It's, it's an aspect of a, of a larger issue, which I define as moral injury. It, some people take exceptions with the issue with the word moral, but it's it's a wounding. It's a wounding of the spirit. It's a wounding uh, of my emotional self. It, it surely is when I was shot, and mm-hmm. and uh, and this wounding um, requires acknowledgement. It requires that I understand that that my relationship with consensus reality has been forever changed. 
um, I was told in the first, it was said to us in the first retreat, uh, meditation retreat that I went to with a group of other veterans, that we are the light of the tip of the candle because we have experienced war. We have experienced um, the where we where our thinking can take us, where our ideas can take us, that violence is a solution. And and we have an opportunity to bring healing and transformation to the world by being the light at the tip of the candle. We weren't hot. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I, I understand I understand deeply um, the 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 drive, the idea that that violence is the only solution here. Um, I, I I won't pretend that I know what the solution is in the Ukraine. I won't pretend that I know what the solution is. But this war, any war, any act of violence, is um, a result of um, a, a, um, a coming together of, of uh, individual suffering unaddressed individual suffering that, that has no other outlet other than mm-hmm. this. You know, I, I look at what's happening in Ukraine and I, I read the, the information and, and it's like, it, it reminds me of growing up as a child where if I, where, yeah, I did, I wanted to take my bicycle outside. I was eight years old and we lived in a second, we lived up uh, on a second story apartment. Um, I couldn't take my bike downstairs. So I was asking my mom to help me get my bike downstairs. Um, my, uh, and I was doing like an eight-year-old. I was pestering her, I imagine. And her, rea- her response to that was to pick me and the bicycle up and, and throw me down the steps. Mm. I, I can wow. see. It's, it's like a parent. I can I can see the circumstance where um, Putin feels like um, the the people of the the people of Ukraine are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing what they're told. They're not following directions, and so he's going to show them. He's going to mm-hmm. punish them. Mm-hmm. And right. And and, it, and you know it it, it it breaks my heart. I'm 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 leaving for Europe on the first of July. Um, we have already cultivated uh, relationships with uh, two Zen groups, uh, one in, in Odessa and one in Kiev. And, mm. uh, I'm, and uh, I'm, I'm, we're developing a list of, uh, of contacts of, of Ukrainian people in the country and, and who have left the country. Um, and um, we're looking to see what we can do beyond what we're already doing. We're looking to see what we can do in the country. How can we be... Um, how can we take? How can we take? How can we take the tools that support us into that place? As we take right. them into wow. places like this that we go to offer people a way to to not withdraw from how they're affected, but how to live in a conscious way with how they've been affected. Um, I, I, I wow, that's to- that's 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 great. I mean, be careful. That's great. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, but you know how you know many of us, myself included, feel sort of helpless in in having an effect. And I know that you know, as you said, being peaceful and living your life in a peaceful way and being able to bring that into the world is pretty powerful. Um, but how can we do that? How can we get to that point when we have this feeling of helplessness, whether it's about Ukraine or right here with mass shootings and, you know, all the violence that we see right here in, this, uh, in our own country? How can we find that peace that we can bring into well, the world? Well, first we have to want to. And I don't know what that's supposed to look like. But we have to be willing to explore the fabric of our lives and see how within the fabric of our lives we are supporting institutions of violence. Mm-hmm. And, and we, can, we can look in our neighborhood. 
it, it's like the 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 woman who is um, the head of the European arm of the Zoltov Foundation um, put together a text. She and I put together a text, and and she went door to door on her street and let people know that um, you know the refugees from the Ukraine war were coming, and would they open their doors to host people mm-hmm. and. Right now, she's the only person on the street who's hosting anyone. No one wants to. No one wants to step out of their comfort zone. Everyone, uh-huh. they, they live. People live in a not in this. There, people. There seems to be this fear to share openly with what we have. You know, well, if I bring them in, what are they going to do? How, you know, there. People are just so insulated, and mm-hmm. and. And to discover the truth of peace, to be the peace we want to see in the world, we need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones because in stepping out of our comfort zones, I become then conscious of, of how I am affected. I mean, what are my roots? What are the roots of war in me? I often say publicly, I'll ask people, um, people say, well, what can I do? And I'll ask the person, i say, like, okay, in your house, how many blankets do you have? And they'll say, oh, I don't know, six, eight, ten. I say, how many people live in your house? Three. I say, how many blankets do you really need? Uh huh. You can sh- you can like share it, get rid of that stuff. You can share that mm-hmm. stuff with people who don't have it. But there's this fear that if if I share what I what I have with someone who doesn't have, then I may then um, those who don't have as much. Um, are going to want to come and take more. Hmm. <laughs> it's not the case. Okay. Right. Right. No, I would imagine that there'd be a lot of appreciation. You don't know what you you know what will come your way in return for doing those things. You, certainly, you do it them feels just good. To do them. Yep. It certainly feels to good do. to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember years back, um, I I met a uh, I met a young person, and um, and uh, I don't know. We were doing something, and and um, they offered me. I helped them with rides or something like that, and and they offered me a small gift, a little crystal. Um, it, back then, it was the sort of the it was. It was a thing to hang a small crystal from your rearview mirror, and, uh-huh. and so they offered me this small. And I said, "Oh, geez, I can't take it." And 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 this young person looked up at me and said, um, "Who are you to not accept my gift?" She said, <laughs> "How do you how do you feel when you give something to somebody?" I said, "Well, oh, I feel good about that." They said, "Who are you to deny someone else from feeling good?" Right. That was a real a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's been a lot of research that actually shows that when people do kind things for other people without expectation of anything in return, mm-hmm. um, or even 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 following up to make sure that they use their gift that you gave them in the way that you wanted them to, make not doing that. Don't do that. Just give it and let them use it however they use it. That the benefit of that is actually there's a a tremendous psychological benefit and then actually there's a chemical reaction in our bodies, right? We have an increase of serotonin which is the natural um, antidepressant. And the natural um, feel-good thing. Exactly. Um, So it's it actually is beneficial for us just to give without any sort of expectation whatsoever. Well, what I say is that what I was encouraged to do, and this came to me through my uh, monastic training, uh, was um, there are the there is the foundations of Buddhist practice are rooted in the four noble truths, 
And the mm-hmm. four noble truths give rise to the eightfold path. And the first of the eightfold path is the, is the um, uh, teaching of generosity. It's, it's mm. doing, a thing ju- doing a thing just to do a thing. And out of that grows the rest of practice. And, and so to, to, put that, to, to put that into application in my daily life, to, to act locally, see what I can do locally. And, and it begins in the smallest of ways. Um, but if I'm helping somebody with the expectation that I get something back, that's not generosity. Generosity right. is not giving. Generosity is not giving what's extra. Mm-hmm. Generosity is giving, just to give. So, I'm, I need to. I mean, I, it's important for me to practice that generosity. Now, as a mendicant monk, I don't have a lot of resources, but what I do have is my is self. So, giving of myself in the ways in which I can. Right. Right. And I think you just said something really important, that, and it goes back to what you said before, that when you're generous, you have to take yourself out of the comfort zone, out of your comfort zone. So like you said, don't just give what's extra, but it ha- you have to actually feel like it's a sacrifice. <laughs> well, so, in so, order. Yeah. So for yeah, me, go on. Uh, for me, the giving, um, I don't look at, I don't look at giving, I look at giving as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, what, does my, what does my action of generosity, what does that raise in me? What sort of thoughts do I have around that? What sort of feelings do I have around that? Let's say we'll take, we'll take the war in, 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 that's going on now, we'll take the war that's going on in Ukraine. I mean, there are other wars that are going on, and I don't want right. to forget about those. And, right. But let's take what's going on in Ukraine. So I, I see a photo of a four-mile-long um, convoy of trucks. The first thought I have is, how come that convoy is not being attacked? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And I go, I go, wait a minute. What are you thinking? Uh, but I, I know where those thoughts come from. I know. I understand that. Um, so how do I allow myself to have those thoughts, not judge myself because I have them, and, and learn how to live in a different relation with those thoughts? And if I have those kind of thoughts and I judge myself partially because of that, um, then I'm, I'm not practicing generosity with my own person. And that's mm-hmm. where generosity starts, with my own person. And it's not doing just what just what feels good. It, it's it's actually my commitment to wake up to the roots of war, violence, and suffering in me. So, so I know we're running out of time here, Claude. But um, I would love if you could let people know how they can maybe even uh, donate to the Zalto Foundation and what you're doing in Ukraine or also just be able to look up your books and meditation and, um, and the things that you're doing to help themselves. Um, I would be glad. What would be the best? Um, okay. Yes. But, but first I want to say, um, Dr. Carpell, I cannot thank you enough for the opportunities you have presented me to be on your show. Um, I really appreciate these conversations. What I would really like to say, it would be really nice to sit down and be able to talk with you for about, like, I don't know, until we ran out of things to talk about. That would just right. be great. I would, that would be great. And I would love to have you come back. Um, you, you, you said you're going to Europe next month? Uh, no, 1st of July. 1st of July. I mean, I would yeah. love to have you come back and tell us about it when you come back. Sure, and and I'm also um, I'm also quite willing to to write you. I have an email address. I think you get those emails. I'd be quite willing to write to you and let you know what's happening. I, I would I would really I would really love that. Absolutely. Great. But now, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, if people want to um, know about the work that we're the foundation is doing, 
um, they can uh, access the website, and that's www.zalto, Z-A-L-T-H-O, zalto.org. Okay. Also, um, there's a, the, the foundation has a, a social media presence. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. And you can do that just by um, entering the words Zalto. That's what I'm told. I, I have no social media presence. I don't know my way around social media. So okay. <laughs> I, I, I think if you just go into Facebook and type Zalto, it'll show up. And same with Instagram. Um, any information about um, the current books can be found on the website. Um, there are any okay. number of places where they can be purchased. Um, the proceeds from the book do not come to me. They go directly to the foundation. So the books are also being published in um, different languages. So the European languages, the proceeds from those books go to the European uh, branch of the foundation. The Spanish language version of the book, the proceeds from that, those books go to the Spanish arm, the, the South American arm of the foundation. Um, so um, when people... Uh, if people choose to donate, they donate to the foundation. That money goes to support the various um, projects that we're doing. In fact, um, my assistant on the 4th of May is going to run a solo marathon And because what we've done is we've created a fund um, to support economically disadvantaged veterans whose pets, which are very supportive to them, Need uh, whose pets might need um, veterinary care, and they don't have the resources to to support that. So we are raising funds. Um, we've um, started a fund to be able then to support veterans to get the, the health care for their pets that they need. Now, we are also involved um, politically. Not the foundation is not, but a, a member of the foundation is involved politically. We're we're making an effort to get. Um, Military service dogs recognize so once they are deactivated, um, they will continue for the rest of their life to receive pre-veterinary care. Right. So okay. these are the sorts of things we can do. And, and also people can, um, uh, if they want to contact me directly, they can. there's an address within the, the website where they can um, write, and I will get those emails. And uh, so if they're interested in, more personal contact about what we're doing or how we can, how they can be of support to what we're doing, um, they can write and I, I'll respond. I answer my emails. Great. Great. Well, thank you. I'm going to post that on my website tonight so people uh, thank you so much. People can find that. And um, thank you so much, Claude. And, and again, thank you for everything you're doing. And please be safe and please keep thank in you. touch. Let me know what's going oh. on and we will have you back on to talk about it. Great. It's too bad we couldn't do like two back-to-back shows so we could have a long time to talk together. <laughs> no, <Right>. I'm just, <laughs> it's just, no, I very much enjoy it. I really appreciate um, the possibilities you present to me and, and I just, I really appreciate the interactions that we have. So thank you. Yep, me too. Thank you. Yes. And you and have a very who, good evening. Thank you. And those who listen to your show, um, I really, um, I wish them the best. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. You have a very good evening, and we'll be in Thank touch. You. I okay. look forward to it. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. We're going to take a very brief break. Um, there's more to come, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. And we're back. 
If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And I'm just going to talk briefly before we go to Mexico for a brief visit with the twins. Um, I just, I'm going to start this topic and continue it next time. Um, as we just spoke about, um, you know, as I mentioned in our discussion with Claude, the incidence of anxiety and depression has increased for adults in the U.S. Um, since the onset of the global, I've talked about this before, the global pandemic, and then again most recently with the invasion and the ongoing war in Ukraine, as well as all of the um, increasing gun violence that we see here in the United States and the wars around the world. I mean, even if you don't pay attention to the news, it affects us. And, um, you know, in fact, millions of adults will experience depression at some point. And um, the WHO says depression and anxiety have increased by 25% worldwide due to the pandemic, while preliminary findings also show an increase of depression since the um, invasion of Ukraine. Um, There haven't been full studies yet, but preliminary findings um, show that that is something that's happening. And last month I spoke with the group of older adults who were re-traumatized by the Ukrainian um, invasion how about how to keep from becoming clinically depressed and ongoing depression. And then two weeks ago I spoke with a group of social workers who work with the elderly from around the country about how to recognize depression in older adults, especially with all of the stress in the world. And this is an important issue because late-life depression is often not recognized due to some differences in symptoms that are seen in older people um, than the symptoms that we expect to see in depression because they are the symptoms we see in younger people. And it's also an important issue to discuss because the National Institute of Health considers late-life depression to be a public health problem. And that's because Late-life depression, depression in older people, increases the risk of morbidity. That is, people dying from medical issues. That depression causes the medical issues to increase more rapidly to the point of death. Um, It also increases the risk of suicide in older adults, and it decreases physical, mental, cognitive, and social functioning. So older adults who are depressed tend to um, be less cognitively sharp and have more medical issues. So, you know, older adults tend to, their depression tends to fall under the radar in diagnosis because the wrong screening criteria are used um, when dealing with an older adult. So as I mentioned, it often looks different in older adults and goes under um, diagnosed. Um, One of the reasons for that is that there's what is called a misattribution of symptoms. So Symptoms of late-life depression are often ignored or wrongly attributed to just normal consequences of aging, to any medical illnesses that they may have, um, or to the side effects of medications. So it's all put into that clump. And these ideas, these misattributions, are not only made by the doctors, who tend, or other professionals, mental health professionals involved in their care, who tend to think it's all medical, but also their family and even the senior adult themselves, um, they tend to look at medical explanations for depressive symptoms. And even a doctor who recognizes that the um, older adult is has depressive symptoms may seek a medical reason for these symptoms rather than just looking at whether or not a mental health issue is present, a depressive disorder. So 
there are many reasons why it's misad, uh, misattri- um, misdiagnosed. Um, fear of using up too much of the doctor's time, so the, patient, the older patient may not talk about it. They may feel um, that there's still a stigma attached to depression. And also sometimes it's missed because an older person who is isolated is so happy to see their doctor because it's a a social interaction with someone who they trust that on that day they beam with joy at the opportunity for this positive social interaction so they don't appear depressed at all. And the medical professional is hesitant to open up that can of worms by asking them if they're depressed. Um, But this is dangerous because a study that was done back in 2001 found that 70% of older adults who successfully committed suicide had been to see their doctor within four weeks of their deaths. And 20% had actually seen their doctor on the day that they ended up committing suicide. So this is not to be taken lightly. Depression is often missed in older adults. Number one, because the main symptom that we usually look for in other age groups when deciding if someone is depressed is the symptom of sadness, that the person is crying, they're tearful, they say sad things. When in an older adult, um, that can be present, but very often it's not. There's, it's, that sadness is not there. And so the absence of that symptom makes it so insidious because we tend to think they're not depressed if they're not crying and sad. Um, instead of the sadness, they may have uh, a lack of emotion, that they don't feel happy either. They've just kind of given up on on activities they used to enjoy, that they just don't feel any um, satisfaction. Um, or it may come out in physical complaints um, or memory problems. So this, I'm going to end with this last one here because I'm going to continue next week. But memory complaints in older adults are often seen as dementia when they are sometimes not at all related to a cognitive problem like dementia, but are actually depression. So um, having short-term memory problems, frequently answering questions with I don't remember or I don't know, or even the person saying themselves that they have noticed that they are having memory problems, very often is a sign of a mood disorder rather than dementia. Um, People with dementia don't notice that they have memory problems as often. And um, they don't complain about it or they try to give answers that are not correct rather than just saying, I don't know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with that, that symptom and we're going to talk about that next time. Um, but for now, we're going to change the subject completely and we're going to go to Mexico with Ruben and Minerva um, who are going to talk about another destination. Hear the thunder, 
high in that mountain, watch the clouds rolling in. Senorita, they dance on that shoreline, making plans for that kiss, and they know how to kiss. They say that we're one hour behind, but the senoritas, they keep us in time. That poppy CT just blows through my mind It takes me back to my place Punta Mita time Hola, Ruben and Minerva. We're back after November break. How was your November there in beautiful Bay of Banderas? We're good. Everything is okay. Okay, great. So what beautiful place will you guys be taking us to today? Tapas y Guatanejo. All right, take us away. Ixtapa is a beautiful coastal resort that was created in the 1970s, which before was Coconut Plantation. In McGrove, Ixtapa is located about three miles from Cihuatanejo with Ruben. We'll tell you about it was designed by artist Enrique and Agustin Landa Verdugo. The population is around 9,000 people and seems to be growing more every year. Chihuatanejo is located in the state of Guerrero, about 115 miles northwest of Acapulco with the population of about 113,000 people. He was, as the locals called, it was founded in the 1520s. There are many beaches to enjoy and other attractions like museums and restaurants or even catamaran boating. But please check your coronavirus restrictions. So can you update us on the COVID virus around you? There hasn't been much change. More places opened up and there are far more tourists, but everything is still handled under COVID restrictions. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, stay safe over there, and we'll be talking with you soon. Until next time. Adios. Adios. All right. So we have come to the end of another program. And um, next week, um, we have a few get, a couple of guests to be announced during the week. So keep your eye on my Facebook page if you want to know what's coming up. Or just tune in next Sunday at uh, 5 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, or anytime after on podcast. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this program, get the link um, to contact um, Claude, Claude's foundation, um, or to find out more about it, um, go to my website. That'll be posted later tonight. And you can listen to this program in as soon as five minutes from now if you want to listen to it again by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and also on Apple Podcasts. But later tonight on my website, drmaricarpel.com. And again, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Years, to find out what's coming up next and any other announcements. This program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. And thank you to my guests, Claude and Shin Thomas, Minerva and Ruben in Mexico, and thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 